Hi there and welcome to another Oslo podcast from the 22nd annual ANZIC CTG meeting held in the beautiful town of Noosa Heads in Queensland, Australia. My name's Todd Fraser. On today's podcast, I'll be chatting to Professor Ronaldo Belomo, who recently raised the issue of body fluid volume control for patients undergoing renal replacement therapy in ICU. And he joins me today to discuss his thoughts on a future research program. Ronaldo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Ronaldo, in the Noosa meeting, you proposed a program of research that uh, seems to be designed to answer some questions around control of body fluid volumes using CRRT. Can you tell us what you mean by this? Yes. One of the unique characteristics of patients that have severe acute kidney injury is they typically do not make urine. And so urine being the most uh, powerful way by which the body modulates its uh, volume state and its fluid state and its fluid balance, uh, then it is substituted by the technique of continuous renal replacement therapy where instead of having the kidney decide what needs to be done with volume, uh, we have human beings, doctors, having the tools to decide how and how much and to what extent and uh, how aggressively and how fast uh, to control the volume state of the patient. And this offers a very important tool, but also raises questions on, on how best to do it. And the best way to control volume by continuous renal replacement therapy in people with severe kidney failure who do not make urine uh, remains uh, undefined and likely to matter in terms of patient outcomes. We've um, done some work over the last couple of decades on better defining indications for renal replacement and dosing. What work has been done around managing uh, volume of patients to date? Yeah, so you're quite right. Uh, Lots of studies and indeed uh, good quality randomized controlled trials have addressed issues of intensity of solute control and timing of intervention. But volume has not been addressed by uh, randomized controlled trials because it is such a dynamic, complex, and challenging area to uh, address uh, and to get right and uh, to measure. So we can measure creatinine, a urea, as markers of intensity of uremic control. We can measure time with a clock uh, of early versus late, but measuring volume is complex. It involves issues of fluid balance, uh, intravascular state, uh, intensity of fluid removal per unit of time, and those multiple dimensions make uh, the design of interventional trials very difficult. If volume of patients is potentially linked to outcomes, what are the potential mechanisms that are driving those outcomes? Yeah, that's a, a very good question. Um, so certainly in terms of uh, fluid balance, a lot of people would say that uh, if you had excessive fluid accumulation and a strongly positive fluid balance, this would be reflected in 
the concept of edema, uh, the accumulation of fluid in organs and in the interstitium. Uh, and, you know, that would be seen to potentially affect the way in which organs function. Uh, just like we can see swelling of ankles and swelling of the tissues in the legs and the skin, we would see that kind of swelling happen in organs and the heart impeding the way the heart pumps in the lungs, impeding the exchange of oxygen in the gut, making the gut less likely to function in the kidney itself, uh, making a recovery by the kidney more difficult. So all of those things could easily explain fluid accumulation and it effects on organ function. On the other side, if the patient was uh, in a state of inadequate fluid balance or overly negative fluid balance, that would cause uh, inadequate cardiac output, inadequate levels of hydration, inadequate level of microvascular circulation, inadequate levels of organ perfusion, and that would also be potentially bad for the patient. And then on top of that, withdrawal fluids. And for example, you have a patient who you believe will be better off having fluid removed. The speed at which you remove that fluid uh, with a CRT approach, uh, which we would define as the net ultrafiltration rate, the amount of fluid you remove per unit of time with a machine, could induce hemodynamic instability, uh, could induce cardiac dysfunction, low levels of phosphate in the blood, and potentially also affect the way the gut functions and the translocation of bacterial products into the bloodstream. So there are lots of pathways by which uh, suboptimal manipulation of volume during CRT could cause harm. What do we know about the way clinicians currently manage volume um, in clinical practice, Ronaldo? Yeah, that's a very good question. Not much. That's the answer. Not much. Um, there hasn't been any uh, really modern uh, current of practice uh, in this area. Uh, we have data from the renal trial, which was done really in 2006, 7, and 8, and 9, showing us that there is quite a degree of variability from clin clinical situation to clinical situation and from hospital to hospital, and uh, showing us that there is... Um, a limited uh, understanding of how best to do it. But in 2020, sort of 15 years later, with the evolution of technology, thinking, science, and understanding, we have uh, very limited information. However, uh, one of the good things that we have now is that all the CRT machines collect data on the management of fluid uh, by the machine. And so you can actually download from the back of the machine with a USB a lot of the information that you wish to have about patients treated. And we're currently conducting a study here in Melbourne where we are obtaining data 
from the machines um, used in several of the major hospitals to see exactly what goes on in terms of fluid removal during CRT, literally hour by hour during such treatment. And the information of, from that, which we hope to have later this year, should illuminate uh, our understanding of current practice. You mentioned earlier the concept of net ultrafiltration rate, and in your brief uh, for the Noosa meeting, you mentioned some background work that you've been doing that's looking at the NUF and mortality. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, we've done some work with uh, an American group um, in Pittsburgh uh, looking at data from the renal trial. And what we found was that uh, once you control for everything else, you know, illness severity, patient characteristics, uh, intensity of treatment, solute levels, fluid overload at randomization, in the renal trial, if you were uh, treated with a high net ultrafiltration rate, you were more likely to die. And that raises concern that there may be a kind of a speed limit uh, in relation to how fast you can remove fluid during CRT. Uh, and so that's raised concern. About. We have recently done a study here at the Austin where we have modern data, uh, really from the last two years, in 300 patients where we looked at hourly uh, actually obtained directly measured net ultrafiltration rate to test whether in a modern data set uh, we would find the same association between a high enough and mortality as was reported by um, us together with the Americans with the renal trial data. And the answer is yes, again. Uh, we found the same association between a high-intensity fluid removal approach and increased mortality. So we're concerned uh, that uh, this might be a true signal that the removal of fluid, irrespective of the final amount of fluid that one does or does not remove, the removal of fluid with CRT should be done at a particular speed that does not exceed, in this particular case, 1.7 mils per kilo per hour. So there may be a speed limit, and that breaking that speed limit is associated with harm. Ronaldo, you've clearly raised this as an issue, but it looks like there's going to be ultimately an unfolding of a, a long program of research related to this question. When you as an experienced researcher stand at the, at the start of this process, what do you see coming down the pipeline? How do you go about answering the questions that you see as, as needing to be answered? Yeah, look, I think that's an important question because uh, the most challenging thing in, in setting up a program is to try and establish a strategy by which you can hopefully get to the final step, which is a large multi-center randomized controlled trial. The first step is always to understand current practice. And so 
my my first step at the moment is to download the data from the CRT machines and see what that information tells us, uh, and then to present to people and show them what's going on so they can see themselves in the mirror, and then set up a process where we undertake some feasibility studies where we do some pilot randomized control trials of doing uh, CRT in a conventional way, leaving the clinicians to decide how to do it versus uh, doing CRT in a way, for example, that avoids fluid removal at a high rate uh, and, and then looks at uh, some of the hemodynamic, uh, biological, and physiological effects of uh, such uh, differential approaches, as well as the actual feasibility and compliance uh, with those two different strategies. If we are able to establish that there is uh, feasibility in small pilot work, then the next step will be to do a phase two trial where we start looking for more clinically meaningful differential outcomes uh, with those two strategies. And if the signals continue to be in the same direction, then hopefully we can get funded to do a large multicenter trial. Now, do you have that trial in mind as you go through this process? Do you have sort of an understanding of what you're I... trying to do? Yeah, look, I, I sort of do, uh, but what I believe may be the approach that is um, desirable may not be the final approach that is used. There has to be um, a alignment between what the scientific question might be and what perhaps the uh, more rigorous uh, and strict scientific approach might be, and what is actually clinically possible, and what, to use an analogy, the market will bear in terms of clinician compliance, uh, acceptance, ability to deliver. So as a trialist, in my opinion, you have to be both a scientist and a pragmatist and you have to both seek to do the best that you can, but also take into account that if doing the best that you can is not going to lead to uh, a trial because it is too demanding, then you need to bend a bit and make things possible. So the enemy of good is perfect. Ronaldo, given the paucity of data um, around this yep. area... How do you manage somebody uh, and their volume status in current practice? Well, my, my take, given the data that I have available and what's been published at the moment, is that uh, in critically ill patients uh, pursuing a fluid balance that is uh, not positive and indeed you know, slightly negative every day is desirable, uh, and that pursuing a negative fluid balance by using the NUF to achieve it demands that it should be done cautiously uh, and at a low fluid removal rate. And so my take would be, uh, you know, after the initial resuscitation uh, in the first 24 hours, which is a very kind of stormy time and so on, 
as soon as all of that has passed and CRT has started, my approach is to achieve a negative fluid balance, even by one mil every day. And my secondary associate approach is to use enough that is below 1.75 mils per kilo per hour. Ronaldo, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast and sharing your insights into this important new area. Pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. For more great interviews just like this, visit our website, osla.force.com.